be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the place to find a good night's rest. My name's Andrew. I'm so pleased you've joined me tonight and taken this time for yourself to ensure you get a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading Emily Klein's Chapter 14 The Woman Who Spanked the King and Chapter 15 The Thing That Couldn't In the last chapter, Emily and Ilsa had taken shelter from a storm in the home of a family whose son had gone missing. In these chapters, Emily and Ilsa are regaled with a tale of the Highlands. If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cosy. Take a deep, relaxing breath. And settle your body in whatever way feels most comfortable. Now all you'll need to do is follow the sound of my voice. So let your eyes fall heavy. And your breath soften. As we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 14 The Woman Who Spanked the King The wet dawn came up from the gulf in the wake of the spent storm and crept greyly into the little spare room of that whitewashed house on the hill. Emily woke with a start from a troubled dream of seeking and finding the lost boy. But where she had found him, she could not now remember. Ilsa was still asleep at the back of the bed, her pale gold curls lying in a silken heap on the pillow. Emily, her thoughts still tangled in the cobweb meshes of her dream, looked around the room and thought she must be dreaming still. By the tiny table, covered with its white, lace-trimmed cloth, a woman was sitting, a tall, stout, old woman, wearing over her thick grey hair a spotless white widow's cap, such as the old Highland Scotswoman still wore in the early years of the century. She had on a dress of plum-coloured drugget with a large, snowy apron, and she wore it with the air of a queen. A neat blue shawl was folded over her breast. Her face was curiously white and deeply wrinkled, but Emily 
with her gift for seeing essentials, saw instantly the strength and vivacity which still characterized every feature. She saw, too, that the beautiful, clear blue eyes looked as if their owner had been dreadfully hurt some time. This must be the old Mrs. McIntyre of whom Mrs. Hollinger had spoken. And if so, then old Mrs. McIntyre was a very dignified personage indeed. Mrs. McIntyre sat with her hands folded on her lap, looking steadily at Emily with a gaze in which there was something hard to define, something just a little strange. Emily recalled the fact that Mrs. McIntyre was supposed to be not quite right. She wondered a little uneasily what she should do. Ought she to speak? Mrs. McIntyre saved her the trouble of deciding. You will be having Highlandmen for your forefathers, she said, in an unexpectedly rich, powerful voice, full of delightful Highland accent. Yes, said Emily. And you will be Presbyterian? Yes. They will be the only decent thing to be remarked Mrs. McIntyre in a tone of satisfaction. And will you please tell me what your name is? Emily Starr. That will be a very pretty name. I will be telling you mine. It is Mistress Margaret McIntyre. I am no common person. I am the woman who spanked the king. Again, Emily, now thoroughly awake, dwelled with the storyteller's instinct. But Ilsa, awakening at the moment, gave a low exclamation of surprise. Mistress McIntyre lifted her head with quite a regal gesture. You will not be afraid of me, my dear. I will not be hurting you, although I will be the woman who spanked the king. That is what the people see of me. Oh, yes. As I walk into the church, she is the woman who spanked the king. I suppose, said Emily, hesitatingly that we'd better be getting up. You will not be rising until I have told you my tale, said Mistress McIntyre firmly. I will be knowing as soon as I saw you that you will be the one to hear it. You will not be having very much colour, and I will not be saying that you are very pretty. Oh no but you will be having the little hands and the little ears 
They will be the ears of a fairy, I am thinking. The girl you are there. She is a very nice girl, and will make a very fine wife for a handsome man. She is clever, oh yes, but you have the way, and it will be you I'll be telling my story. Tell her it, whispered Ilsa. I'm dying of curiosity to hear about the king being spanked. Emily, who realised that there was no letting in the case, only a matter of lying still and listening to whatever it seemed good to Mistress McIntyre to say, nodded. You will not be having the talks. I will be meaning the Gaelic. Spellbound, Emily shook her black head. That is a pity, for my story will not be sounding so well in English. Oh no. You will be saying to yourself, the old woman is having a dream. But you will be wrong, for it is the true story I will be telling you. Oh yes. I spanked the king. Of course, he would not be the king then. He would be only a little prince, and no more than nine years old. Just the same age as my little Alec. But it is at the beginning I must be, or you will not be understanding the matter at all. It was all a long, long time ago, before ever we left the old country. My husband would be Alistair McIntyre, and he would be a shepherd near Balmoral Castle. Alistair was a very handsome man, and we were very happy. It was not that we did not quarrel once in a while. Oh no, that would be very monotonous. But when we made up, it is more loving than ever would be and I would be very good-looking myself. I will be getting fatter and fatter all the time now, but I was very slim and beautiful. Oh yes, it is the truth I will be telling you, though I will be seeing that you are laughing in your sleeve at me. When you will be eighty, you will be knowing more about it, you will be remembering, maybe, that Queen Victoria and Prince Albert would be coming up to Balmoral Castle every summer and bringing their children with them, and they would not be bringing any more servants than they could help, for they would not be wanting fuss and bother, but just a quiet, nice time, like common folks. On Sundays, they would be walking down sometimes to the church in the glen to be hearing Mr. Donald MacPherson preach. Mr. Donald MacPherson was very gifted in prayer, and he would not be liking it when people would come in when he was praying. 
he would be apt to be stopping and saying, O oh Lord, we will be waiting until Sandy Big Jim has taken his seat. Oh yes. I would be hearing the Queen laugh the next day. At Sandy Big Jim, you will be knowing, not at the minister. When they will be needing some more help in the castle, they just sent me and Janet Jardine. Janet's husband was a guile on the estate. She would be always saying to me, Good morning, Mistress McIntyre, when we would be meeting, and I would be saying, Good morning, Janet, just to be showing the superiority of the McIntyres over the Jardines. But she was very good a creature in her place, and we would be getting on very well together when she would not be forgetting it. I was very good friends with the Queen. Oh yes, she was not a proud woman whatever. She would be sitting in my house at times and drinking a cup of tea and she would be talking to me of her children. She was not very handsome, oh no, but she would be having a very pretty hand. Prince Albert was very fine looking, so people would be saying, but to my mind, Alistair was far handsomer a man. They would be very fine people, whatever and the little princes and princesses would be playing about with my children every day. The queen would be knowing they were in good company, and she would be easier in her mind about them than I was, for Prince Bertie was a daring lad if ever there was one. Oh yes. And the tricky one, and I would be worrying all the time for the fear he and Alec would be getting into a scrape. They would be playing every day together, and the quarrelling too, and it would not always be Alec's fault either, but it was Alec that we'd be getting the scolding, poor lad. Somebody would have to be scolded, and you'll be knowing that I could not be scolding the prince, my dear. There was one great worry I will be having. The burn behind the house in the trees. It was very deep and swift in places, and if a child should be falling in, he would be drowned. I would be telling Prince Bertie and Alec, time after time, that they must never be going near the banks of the burn. They would be doing it once or twice for all that, and I would be punishing Alec for it, though he would be telling me that he did not want to go, and Prince Bertie would be saying, Oh, come on, there'll be no any danger. Do not be a coward. And Alec would be going, because he would be thinking he had to do what the prince would say, and not liking very well either to be called a coward, and him a McIntyre. I would be worrying so much over it that I would not be sleeping at night, 
And then, my dear, one day, Prince Bertie would be falling right into the deep pool, and Alec would be trying to pull him out and falling in after him, and they would be half drowned together, if not I'd be hearing the squirrels of them, when I would be coming home from the castle after taking some buttermilk up for the queen. Oh yes, it is quick I will be taking in what had happened, and running in the burn, and it would not be long before I was fishing them out, very frightened and dripping. I will be knowing something had to be done, and I was tired of blaming poor Alec. And besides, it will be truth, my dear, that I was very, very mad, and I was not thinking of princes and kings, but just of two very bad little boys. Oh, it is the quick temper I will always be having. Oh, yes. I will be picking up Prince Bertie and turning him over my knee, and I'll be giving him a sound spanking on the place the good lord will be making for spanks in princes as well as in common children. I'll be spanking him first, because he was a prince. Then I spanked Alec, and they made music together, for it was very angry I was and I will be doing what my hands will be finding to do with all my might, as the good book says. Then, when Prince Bertie had gone home, very mad, I will be cooling off and feeling a bit frightened, for I will not be knowing just how the Queen will be taking it, and I will not be liking the thought of Janet Jardine triumphing over me. But it is a sensible woman Queen Victoria was, and she will be telling me next day that I did right, and Prince Albert will be smiling and joking to me about the laying of his hands. And Prince Bertie would not be disobeying me again about going to the burn. Oh no, and he could not be sitting down very easy for some time. As for Alistair, I had been thinking he would be very cross with me, but it will always be hard telling what a man will think of anything. Oh yes, for he would be laughing over it too, and telling me that that day would come when I could be boasting that I had spanked the king. I was all a long time ago now, but never will I be forgetting it. She would be dying two years ago, and Prince Bertie would be the king at last. When Alistair and I came to Canada, the queen will be giving me a silk petticoat. It was a very fine petticoat of the Victoria Tartan. I've never worn it, but I will be wearing it once, in my coffin. Oh yes. I will be keeping it in the chest in my room, and they will be knowing what it is for. I will be wishing Janet Jardine could have known that I was being buried in a petticoat of Victorian tartan.
but she has been dead for a long while. She was a very good sort of creature, although she was not a McIntyre. Miss McIntyre folded her hands and held her peace. Having told her story, she was content. Emily had listened avidly. Now she said, Mrs. McIntyre, will you let me write that story down and publish it? Mistress McIntyre leaned forward. Her white, shriveled face warmed a little. Her deep-set eyes shone. Will you be meaning that it will be printed in a paper? Yes. Mistress McIntyre rearranged her shawl over her breast with hands that trembled a little. It is strange how our wishes will be coming true at times. It is a pity that the foolish people who will be saying there is no God could not be hearing of this. You will be writing it out and you'll be putting it into proud words. No, no, said Emily quickly. I will not do that. I may have to make a few changes and write a framework, but most of it I shall write exactly as you told it. I could not better it in any syllable. Mistress McIntyre looked doubtful for a moment, then gratified. It is only a poor, ignorant body I am, and I will not be choosing my words very well, but maybe you will be knowing the best. If you have listened to me very nicely, and it is sorry I have kept you so long with my old tales. I'll be going now and letting you get up. Have they found the lost child? asked Ilsa eagerly. Mistress McIntyre shook her head composedly. Oh no, it is not finding him in a hurry they will be. I'll be hearing Clara skirling in the night. She is the daughter of my son Angus. She will be marrying a Wilson, and the Wilsons will always be making a stramash over everything. The poor thing will be worrying that she was not good enough to the little lad, but it would always be spoiling him she was, and him that full of mischief. I will not be of much use to her. I have not the second sight. You'll be having a bit of that yourself, I'm thinking. Oh, yes. No, no, said Emily hurriedly. She could not help recalling a certain incident of her childhood at New Moon, of which she somehow never liked to think. Old Mistress McIntyre nodded sagely and smoothed her white apron. 
it will not be right for you to be denying it, my dear, for it is a great gift, and my cousin Helen, four times removed, will be having it. Oh, yes. But they will not be finding little Alan. Oh, no. Clara will be loving him too much. It is not a very good thing to be loving anyone too much. God will be a jealous God. Oh, yes. It is Margaret McIntyre who knows it. I will be having six sons once. All very fine men. And the youngest would be Neil. He was six feet two in his stockings. And there would be none of this other like him at all. There would be such fun in him. He would always be laughing. Oh, yes, and willing tongue of him would be coaxing the birds off the bushes. He will be going to the Klondike, and he will be getting frozen to death out there one night. Oh, yes, he will be dying while I was praying for him. I've not been praying since. Clara will be feeling like that now. She'll be saying God does not hear. It is a very strange thing to be a woman, my dears, and to be loving so much for nothing. Little Alan was a very pretty baby. He will be having a fat little brown face and very big blue eyes. And it's a pity he will not be turning up, though they will not be finding my Neil in time. Oh no, I'll be leaving Clara alone and not vexing her with comforting. I was always the great hand to leave people alone. Without it would be when I spanked the king. It is Julia Hollinger who will be in darkening counsel by words without knowledge. It is the foolish woman she is. She would be leaving her husband because he will not be giving up a dog he liked. I'm thinking he was wise in sticking to the dog. But I will always be getting on well with Julia because I will have learned to suffer fools gladly. She will enjoy giving advice so much and it will not be hurting me whatever because I will never be taking it. I will be saying goodbye to you now, my dears, and it is very glad I am to have seen you, and I will be wishing you that trouble may never be sitting on your hearthstones. And I will not be forgetting either that you listened to me very politely. Oh yes, I will not be of much importance to anybody now, but once. I spanked the king. Chapter 15 The Thing That Couldn't When the door had closed behind Mistress McIntyre, the girls got up and dressed rather laggingly. Emily thought of the day before her with some distaste. The fine flavour of romance with which they had started out 
had vanished, and canvassing a country road for subscriptions had suddenly become irksome. Physically, they were both tireder than they thought. It seems like an age since we left Shrewsbury, grumbled Ilsa as she pulled on her stockings. Emily had an even stronger feeling of a long passage of time. A wakeful, enraptured night under the moon had seemed in itself like a year of some strange soul growth. And this past night had been wakeful also, in a very different way. And she had roused from her brief sleep at its close with an odd, rather unpleasant sensation of some confused and troubled journey. A sensation which old Mistress McIntyre's story had banished for a time, but which now returned as she brushed her hair. I feel as if I had been wandering somewhere for hours, she said, and I dreamed I found little Alan, but I don't know where. It was horrible to wake up feeling that I had known just immediately before I woke and had forgotten. I slept like a log, said Elsa, yawning. I didn't even dream. Emily, I want to get away from this house and this place as soon as I can. I feel as if I were in a nightmare, as if something horrible were pressing me down, and I couldn't escape it. It would be different if I could do anything, help in any way. But since I can't, I just want to escape from it. I forgot it for a few minutes while the old lady was telling her story. Heartless old thing. She wasn't worrying one bit about poor little lost Dannon. I think she stopped worrying long ago, said Emily dreamily. That's what people mean when they say she isn't right. People who don't worry a little never are right, like Cousin Jimmy. But that was a great story. I'm going to write it for my first essay, and later on I'll see about having it printed. I'm sure it would make a splendid sketch for some magazine, if I can only catch the savour and vivacity she put into it. I think I'll jot down some of her expressions right away in my Jimmy book, before I forget them. Oh, drat your Jimmy book, said Ilsa. Let's get down and eat breakfast if we have to, and get away. But Emily, reveling again in her storyteller's paradise, had temporarily forgotten everything else. Where is my Jimmy book? she said impatiently. It isn't in my bag. I know it was here last night. 
Surely I didn't leave it on the gatepost. Isn't that it over there, on the table? asked Ilsa. Emily gazed blankly at it. It can't be. It is. How did it get there? I know I didn't take it out of the bag last night. You must have, said Ilsa indifferently. Emily walked over to the table with a puzzled expression. The Jimmy book was lying open on it, with her pencil beside it. Something on the page caught her eye suddenly. She bent over it. Why don't you hurry and finish your hair? demanded Ilsa a few minutes later. I'm ready now, for pity's sake. Tear yourself from the blessed Jimmy book for long enough to get dressed. Emily turned round, holding the Jimmy book in her hands. She was very pale, and her eyes were dark with fear and mystery. Elsa, look at this, she said in a trembling voice. Elsa went over and looked at the page of the Jimmy book which Emily held out to her. On it was a pencil sketch, exceedingly well done, of the little house on the river shore to which Emily had been so attracted on the preceding day. A black cross was marked on it, a small window over the front door, and opposite it, on the margin of the jimmy book, beside another cross, was written, Alan Bradshaw is here. What does it mean? gasped Ilsa. Who did it? I don't know, stammered Emily. The writing is mine. Ilsa looked at Emily and drew back a little. You must have drawn it in your sleep, she said dazedly. I can't draw, said Emily. Who else could have done it? Mistress McIntyre couldn't. You know she couldn't. Emily, I never heard of such a strange thing. Do you think, do you think he could be there? How could he? The house must be locked up. There's no one working at it now. Besides, they must have searched all around there. He would be looking out of the window. It wasn't shuttered, you remember, calling. They would have seen, heard him. I suppose I must have drawn that picture in my sleep, though I can't understand how I did, because my mind was so filled with the thought of little Alan. It's so strange. It frightens me.
You'll have to show it to the Bradshaws, said Ilsa. I suppose so, and yet I hate to. It may fill them with a cruel, false hope again, and there can't be anything in it. But I daren't risk not showing it. You show it. I can't somehow. The thing has upset me. I feel frightened. Childish. I could sit down and cry. If he should have been there since Tuesday, he would be dead of starvation. Well, they'd know. I'll show it, of course. If it should turn out, Emily, you're an uncanny creature. Don't talk of it. I can't bear it, said Emily, shuddering. There was no one in the kitchen when they entered it, but presently a young man came in. Evidently the Dr. McIntyre of whom Mrs. Hollinger had spoken. He had a pleasant, clever face, with keen eyes behind his glasses, but he looked tired and sad. Good morning, he said. I hope you had a good rest and were not disturbed in any way. We are all sadly upset here, of course. They haven't found the little boy, asked Ilsa. Dr. McIntyre shook his head. No, they have given up the search. He cannot be living yet, after Tuesday night and last night. The swamp will not give up its dead. I feel sure that is where he is. My poor sister is broken-hearted. I am sorry your visit should have happened at such a sorrowful time, but I hope Mrs. Hollinger has made you comfortable. Grandmother McIntyre would be quite offended if you lacked for anything. She was very famous for her hospitality in her day. I suppose you haven't seen her. She does not often show herself to strangers. Oh, we've seen her, said Emily absently. She came into our room this morning and told us how she spanked the king. Dr. McIntyre laughed a little. Then you have been honoured. It is not to everyone, Grandmother tells that tale. She's something of an ancient mariner, and knows her predestined listeners. She is a little bit strange. A few years ago, her favourite son, my Uncle Neil, met his death in the Klondike under sad circumstances. He was one of the lost patrol. Grandmother never recovered from the shock. She has never felt anything since. Feeling seems to have been killed in her. She neither loves nor hates 
nor fears, nor hopes. She lives entirely in the past and experiences only one emotion. A great pride in the fact that she once spanked the king. But I am keeping you from your breakfast. Here comes Mrs. Hollinger to scold me. Wait a moment, please, Dr. McIntyre, said Ilsa hurriedly. I, you, we, there is something I want to show you. Dr. McIntyre bent a puzzled face over the Jimmy book. What is this? I don't understand. We don't understand it either. Emily drew it in her sleep. In her sleep? Dr. McIntyre was too bewildered to be anything but an echo. She must have. There was nobody else, unless your grandmother can draw. Not she, and she never saw this house. It's the Scooby Cottage below Malvern Bridge, isn't it? Yes, we saw it yesterday. But Alan can't be there. It's been locked for a month. The carpenters went away in August. Oh, I know, stammered Emily. I was thinking so much of Alan before I went to sleep. I suppose it's only a dream. I don't understand it at all. But we had to show it to you. Of course. Well, I won't say anything to Will or Clara about it. I'll get Rob Mason from over the hill, and we'll run down and have a look around the cottage. It would be odd, but it couldn't possibly be. I don't see how we can get into the cottage. It's locked, and the windows are shuttered. This one. Over the front door, isn't it? No, but that's a closet window at the end of the upstairs hall. I was over the house one day in August when the painters were at work on it. The closet shuts with a spring lock, so I suppose that is why they didn't put a shutter on that window. It's high up, close to the ceiling, I remember. Well, I'll slip over to Rob's and see about this. It won't do to leave any stone unturned. Emily and Dilsa ate what breakfast they could, thankful that Mrs. Hollinger let them alone, save for a few passing remarks as she came and went at work. Terrible night last night, but the rain is over. I never closed an eye. Poor Clara didn't either, but she's quieter now, sort of despairing. I'm scared for her mind. Her grandmother never was right after she heard of her son's death. When Clara heard they weren't going to search no more, she screamed once 
and lay down on the bed with her face to the wall. Ain't stirred since. Well, the world has to go on for other folks. Help yourself to toast. I'd advise ye not be in too much of a hurry starting out till the wind dries the mud a bit. I'm not going to go until we find out, whispered Ilsa inconclusively. Emily nodded. She could not eat, and if Aunt Elizabeth or Aunt Ruth had seen her, they would have sent her to bed at once with orders to stay there, and they would have been quite right. She had almost reached her breaking point. The hour that passed after Dr. McIntyre's departure seemed interminable. Suddenly, they heard Mrs. Hollinger, who was washing milk pails at the bench outside the kitchen door, give a sharp exclamation. A minute later, she rushed into the kitchen, followed by Dr. McIntyre, breathless from his mad run from Melvin Bridge. Clara must be told first, he said. It is her right. He disappeared into the inner room. Mrs. Hollinger dropped into a chair, laughing and crying. They found him. They found little Alan. On the floor of the hall closet, in the Scooby cottage. His... He living, gasped Emily. Yes, but no more. He couldn't even speak. But he'll come round with care, the doctor says. They carried him to the nearest house. That's all the doctor had time to tell. A wild cry of joy came from the bedroom, and Clara Bradshaw with dishevelled hair and pallid lips, but with the light of rapture shining in her eyes, rushed through the kitchen, out and over the hill. Mrs. Hollinger caught up a coat and ran after her. Dr. McIntyre sank into a chair. I couldn't stop her, and I'm not fit for another run yet but joy doesn't kill. It would have been cruel to stop her, even if I could. Is little Alan all right? asked Ilsa. He will be. The poor kid was at the point of exhaustion, naturally. He wouldn't have lasted for another day. We carried him right up to Dr. Matheson at the bridge, and left him in his charge. He won't be fit to be brought home before tomorrow. Have you any idea how he came to be there? Well, he couldn't tell us anything, of course, but I think I know how it happened. We found a cellar window about half an inch open. I fancy that Alan was poking about the house, boy fashion, and found that this window hadn't been fastened 
he must have got entrance by it, pushed it almost shut behind him, then explored the house. He had pulled the closet door tight in some way, and the spring lock made him prisoner. The window was too high for him to reach, or he might have attracted attention from it. The white plaster of the closet wall is all marked and scarred with his vain attempts to get up to the window. Of course, he must have shouted, but nobody has ever been near enough to the house to hear him. You know, it stands in that bare little cove with nothing near it where a child could be hidden. So I suppose the searchers did not pay much attention to it. They didn't search the riverbanks until yesterday, anyhow, because it was never thought he would have gone down there alone. And by yesterday, he was past calling for help. I'm so happy since he's found, said Ilsa, winking back tears of relief. Grandfather Bradshaw suddenly poked his head out of the sitting room doorway. I told ye a child couldn't be lost in the nineteenth century, he chuckled. He was lost, though, said Dr. McIntyre, and he wouldn't have been found in time if it were not for this young lady. It's a very extraordinary thing. Emily is psychic, said Ilsa, quoting Mr. Carpenter. Psychic. Hump. Well, it's curious. Very. I don't pretend to understand it. Grandmother would say it was second sight, of course. Naturally, she's a firm believer in that, like all the Highland folk. Oh, I'm sure I haven't second sight, protested Emily. I must just have dreamed it and got up in my sleep. But then, I can't draw. Something used you as an instrument then, said Dr. McIntyre. After all, Grandmother's explanation of second sight is just as reasonable as anything else when one is compelled to believe an unbelievable thing. I'd rather not talk of it, said Emily, with a shiver. I'm so glad Alan has been found, but please don't tell people about my part in it. Let them think it just occurred to you to search inside the Scooby house. I... I couldn't bear to have this talked of all over the country. When they left the little white house on the windy hill, the sun was breaking through the clouds and the harbour waters were dancing madly in it. The landscape was full of the wild beauty that comes in the wake of a spent storm and the western road stretched before them in loop and hill and dip of wet, red allurement 
but Emily turned away from it. I'm going to leave it for my next trip, she said. I can't go canvassing today somehow. Friend of my heart, let's go to Malvern Bridge and take the morning train to Shrewsbury. It was awfully funny about your dream, said Ilsa. It makes me a little afraid of you, Emily, somehow. Oh, don't be afraid of me, implored Emily. It was only a coincidence. I was thinking of him so much, and the house took possession of me yesterday. Remember how you found out about Mother, said Ilsa, in a low tone. You have some power the rest of us hasn't. Perhaps I'll grow out of it, said Emily, desperately. I hope so. I don't want to have any such power. You don't know how I feel about it, Ilsa. It seems to me a terrible thing, as if I were marked out in some uncanny way. I don't feel human. When Dr. McIntyre spoke about something using me as an instrument, I went cold all over. It seems to me that while I was asleep, some other intelligence must have taken possession of my body and drawn that picture. It was your writing, said Ilsa. Oh, I'm not going to talk of it, or think of it. I'm going to forget it. Don't ever speak of it again to me, Ilsa. Ilsa.